Welcome to Saints and Sisters, a conversational podcast about faith, moral compass, and the role that God plays in our lives. Follow along as we explore different books and literature, scripture, and the current headlines as guideposts. Thanks for joining us, everybody. <laughs> or mom. <laughs> <laughs> and dad. And dad. For our first uh, jumping off point, and we decided yeah. for this, we decided that there was no better place to start in an examination of faith than the classic 1970 children's novel by Judy Bloom. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. In the novel, Margaret is a young girl who explores over the course of a year in her life um, what religion she should be after growing up in a household with interfaith parents that eschewed God and religion. Sherry, did you want to start with what some of your main takeaways were after reading the book? So there's a, a place in the book where Margaret, and when she prays, she's always, you know, talking to God. So she opens every prayer saying, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret, because she's never been taught how to formally pray um, because her parents, um, neither one practices a religion. And so um, one in particular spoke to me and what I'm going thinking about right now. And she says, um, by the end of the school year, I'll know all there is to know about religion. And before I start junior high, I'll know which one I am. Then I'll be able to join the Y or the center like everyone else. And so in this piece, she's talking about, you know, her year long, project that she was given um, to figure out uh, or she chose to figure out, you know, what religion she believes because she feels like she needs to belong somewhere and she doesn't know where she belongs. It seems like everyone else belongs somewhere and she doesn't. And that really, um, that was probably my biggest takeaway was just what does it even mean to belong to a faith community? Because I really don't know where I belong, which is why I'm afraid of, you know, having my funeral at the funeral home. So, um, (laughs) So like, what does it mean to belong? And I've had the experience of growing up in a faith. So like, what does it mean for our kids to be given a place in a community? Um, Is it easier to be raised in a faith and decide, or is it easier to be like what Margaret did and, you know, spend the year going to different places? Um, You know, cause like my daughter's was baptized at age seven and then she, we fast tracked the first two sacraments with her. So she was baptized at age seven and then first communion at age eight. Um, And I'm still trying to figure that out. Like, did I make a big mistake if I didn't make a mistake and we did have her participate in those sacraments, then I'm not really helping her to discern because we're not going. So I don't know if any of that makes sense, but basically belonging is where I landed on and what I took away from the book. Yeah. I think, yeah, like we are hardwired for belonging. Um, I I thought it was so interesting. I love Judy Bloom so much, but I thought it was so interesting that so many of her, like, is she 10 in the book? I can't remember. So many of her questions as like sixth a super grade. young, sixth grade, yeah, like a super young person, like still resonate. So she had that point when she was praying and she wanted to make a decision, but she was like, I can't just go on being nothing forever, can I? And I think that's like the crux, like, can we just not be a religion and be just fine. I mean, there's obviously plenty of agnostic and atheist people who, but I would kind of argue that that is their religion or their not theology, but, and the other part was when she was talking about when she was in with her grandma, the, at the um, Jewish service, um, when she went to temple with her and she was talking about how the rabbi welcomed them. And then she kind of went through like the ritual of the service 
And she was saying how some of it was in Hebrew. And she was really surprised to look up and see that her grandma could just talk right along with the rabbi. And like, that is the part that I love the most about the Catholic mass. Like it's the same, whether you go in Union, Oregon, or when I went to Shrewsbury, Massachusetts, like it was the same mass wherever you go. So there's that like ritual and comfort. I think that's really important to a lot of people to have that like sense of security. But then there was where she was in there and she was like, I've gone to all these places and I didn't feel anything special in there. I really wanted to, and I just didn't feel it. And I feel like that's how I have always kind of felt like I, I wanted it to be like that. I had some kind of a connection, but I just didn't feel it. It's like, and that feels kind of, you feel a bit lonely. Cause like you look around and you're like, does everybody feel this way? Like, is everybody kind of pretending that this is real when it's not? And I think at the end, she still doesn't know. <laughs> I think that she, like, obviously in the book, she is saying at the end, like, I wish my parents would have just been something because then I could just decide because it's too late. She feels like she's, you know, having to discover it later in life. And I do kind of wish that my kids had a foundation of something from which to question. Yeah. And they, so at the end of the book, her last prayer, she does say, I know you're there, God. Um, and then she's thanking God. I think throughout the book, there's the hope as she's saying, are you there, God? I think that she has the hope that there is. And there becomes the twist where when both of her grandparents are pressuring her one way or another, um, or a sense of expectation, then she kind of shuts down as a defense mechanism or her outward words of what she says to them is that she's not going to be either. But then in her private prayer to God, then you can kind of see the sense that she's still holding out that hope. And one of the things that stood out to me in the book was just in general that throughout the book, when thinking about her relationships with her grandparents and parents and friends and peers and her teacher, of all the relationships in the book, it seemed like she was most, or she most authentically shared her heart when she was talking to God. Because when she talked to other people, she was filtering her thoughts and kind of saying what she thought was expected or only sharing a part of herself. But then it seemed like in her prayers and they were quick, but it seemed like it was just showing more authentically her thoughts and what she was thinking, what she was hoping for. Um, so I thought that that was interesting that she naturally authentically shared her heart most with God, but then kind of filtered herself or had that self-protective layer with everyone else. Except her grandma. I feel like she could, as close as she came, like a close second to God was her grandma, um, mm-hmm. the Jewish grandma, not the mean lady that came from Ohio. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I thought it was interesting that her grandma had never invited her to temple. Like she'd never pressured her to be. She respected her parents' wishes that they weren't going to have a specific religion in their family enough that she knew that she wanted to have time with her granddaughter more than she wanted her granddaughter to be Jewish. I thought that was interesting because it's not always that way with any religion. Right. But that uh, actually models well how dad was as we were growing up, as far as there would be external pressures, but he was very faithful to the promise that he made when mom and dad got married in the Catholic church with the agreement that we would be raised Catholic. He faithfully lived that out our whole, you know, like our whole childhood, he never, so there would be missionaries coming and, you know, sometimes inquiring or trying to encourage, but he never acted on that. Yeah. How do you think we need to get mom on here? Cause how, 
I always, I think about that now and how extraordinary it is that they were able to have that kind of relationship, have an interfaith relationship that really, I did really feel like dad always respected, like that they respected each other's faith, even though it's different. I mean, both Christian faiths, but so different. Mm-hmm. I mean, they both well, and I it. didn't fully understand <laughs> that until later when I, because I didn't know a lot about, I, a lot of people would be shocked the pairing of, um, of having Catholic and Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I didn't realize until later how their whole foundation is the great apostasy. And so it's like either one or the other, that there's not as much crossover as other faiths that would be like multiple Christian faiths, that there is that kind of splitting off of if there's a great apostasy. Like with, so the Mormon, (laughs) with the Mormon (laughs) faith, how... (laughs) so i didn't know this until yeah so i didn't know this until recent years and i won't say it perfectly because i mean i haven't been exploring deeply that faith but um how the mormon faith is based on or it hinges upon saying that there was a great apostasy that everything that jesus had founded about the church completely fell away, like that there was a complete disconnect. And so then that's why the angel then, you know, oh, sent the yeah. messenger to then it's begin the faith. Back. And so, so, I mean, it's, it really hinges on like um, that the Catholic church and other Christian church had completely fallen away, like a complete apostasy. And so when you have two faiths that are not, I mean, I can see how if there were two other Christian faiths, that there might've been more common zone, but when you have two saying like, no, it completely lost, you know, like the, I don't know. I, and I am not explaining apostasy. Yeah. Like completely. So I can, I could better understand now why, why it would be so important to them to have all family members in the same faith. (laughs) Oh, I remember now, or I, well, I don't remember now. I just looked it up on (laughs) I was like quietly Googling, (laughs) but it is coming back to me now. So like the great apostasy after the deaths of the savior and his apostles, then the idea is that men corrupted the principles of the gospel and the Lord withdrew the authority of the priesthood from the earth. And so that lasted until heavenly father his beloved son appeared to Joseph Smith in 1820 and initiated the restoration. Okay. Now I'm back up to speed. I have no idea why you feel bad that you got baptized as both. (laughs) (laughs) You clearly did a quick examination of your conscience. I mean, now it makes sense why I'm so like, why I don't know what I. (laughs) Right. So one thing that I thought about when reading the book and But one thing that I thought about related to that was that if Margaret were to deeply explore the faith of her paternal side and explore her Christian side, eventually she would have to make a choice or she would have to reconcile to decide, okay, where are my beliefs? And I thought about how that would really have to center on, is Jesus who he said he was? Because from the Jewish tradition, then it wouldn't be accepting Jesus as the Messiah. And so when he revealed who he was and with his life, death and resurrection, she would have to either choose. Did she believe that or not? And if she did, 
everything that she learned from her grandma's Jewish tradition would still strengthen her Christian faith because then that, of course, linked with um, with Jesus's faith and just the trajectory of salvation history. So everything that she learned from that faith would still help support that. Um, and I would say that I had a similar experience as far as us, even though we grew up um, with that, we would all be raised Catholic. Once we were adults, we of course had the option that we could have explored one way or another. And so I can't remember how old I would have been at the time, but my early twenties, um, there were missionaries that came to the house and to my like personal house, not our parents' house and I'll talked. And so really, yeah. <laughs> and it was really, did you say you did? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> I was kidding. So, yeah. but I could have. <laughs> but really, yeah. So, and even though I didn't understand the concept of great apostasy at that time, it really boiled down to, did I believe what Jesus said as far as because I knew that within the Catholic Church, the Eucharist was there and that it was a different concept in other Christian churches, that it's just a symbol. So really it came down to, did I believe that the, that the Eucharist meant what Jesus said it meant? So I thought that it was interesting just seeing how both what Margaret would have had to come to terms with and what I eventually had to come to terms with was the same thing kind of linking into the Gospels and did I believe um, in what Jesus said. And with um, then when I did learn more about the apostasy later in life, that concept, then it still came back again. Do I believe that what Jesus said? Because when he said, you are Peter, and upon this rock I build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, well, a great apostasy would have been that something prevailed against it. But the church that he founded then I know, like, yes, I believe that it is still in place with the Catholic Church and the succession of the different popes over time, even though it's imperfect, or I mean, even though the people within the church are all imperfect, that it has been able to continue throughout the ages because God is able to keep it intact. So that was kind of like different cycles in life of being able to, having to decide as an adult, um, what my beliefs were and and kind of like continuing to believe over time because of course like there's always a choice it, or I guess the sense that it's an ongoing choice that just because I made the choice as an adult uh like I have to continue making that choice as I learn more information it's an ongoing choice to accept or reject and I guess in general just I'm fascinating with that sense of the way that beliefs are constructed over time and how it's a process and that there's different factors that can help or hinder it. Um, and just thinking about how it really requires patience, both for the people who are seeking to understand and those around them who might desire a certain outcome. So recognizing um, like Margaret had this expectation that she wanted to know. She had that question for God, are you there? She wanted to know. She wanted to know where she belonged with different faith communities her grandparents desired that she would choose their faith. So in order for her to authentically construct those beliefs over time and have deep roots, like if there's a sense that the beliefs are just forced or expected to automatically accept, um, then they're not as strong. But I think that sometimes people who desire an outcome in others, then instead of allowing that space to really deeply 
consider. Instead, they kind of end up trying to fast track things or force it. And so I think that's what happened with her grandma. And I felt like it was a lost opportunity. The grandma, the maternal grandma and grandpa who visited, they didn't realize that she was already had a desire to know and that she would have loved to talk to them about it. But they didn't take the opportunity to get to know her first and show that they cared about her. And then in a way, like invite to see if it was something she wanted to talk about. But instead, they just kind of were scandalized that she wasn't going to a Sunday school and kind of turned it into a tense issue. And then that's where she kind of put up like a defense mechanism. And so that was kind of a lost opportunity because she didn't have a relationship with them at all to begin with. And there was the opportunity that they could have had a relationship with her and helped her to explore her faith. But instead, both were lost in a sense. And of course, it could have been something that over time was reenacted. But in the book, it kind of talked about how they wanted to connect because they were getting older. And so it's had a sense that time was potentially short and that the opportunity felt like it was lost. And that's something that I think about as a mom as well, just recognizing that each of my girls are exploring and they at times have doubts just like Margaret. And as a mom to be patient with their process and allow them to explore without trying to, I don't know, sometimes it's just a hard line to walk with giving them enough support, but allowing them the space to build those deep roots. I think that was it for this book. Yeah, I think just, you know, how can you feel a sense of belonging? And can you feel that you belong to God without a faith community? Because like Margaret seemed like she, like Mandy was saying, she's authentic when she was talking to God. That was her truest self, but yet she still wanted to be part of a community. Yeah. The other thing that I thought about was just the importance of having people who can help you when you're trying to explore and knowing that there were different people around her who could have helped, but like her parents were discouraging faith. Her grandparents were excited and ended up being kind of too focused on their desired outcome. Her friends, like all of her friends, she viewed them as everyone else having a faith community and knowing who they were. But I don't remember any of them seeming excited about their faith. They all seemed fairly indifferent or unmotivated. Um, There was like a couple characters that maybe because she didn't really know them well enough, but in general, she didn't really have someone to help guide her through the process. So she didn't really have anyone to help her understand, well, how do you hear God's voice? Um, Or, understanding just like she had the assumption that when her trip got canceled that she wanted to go to with her one grandma, she thought that it was a punishment for being mean to Laura and feeling like it was because she was a horrible person. So I just felt like she needed someone to help her reveal who God is and how he interacts with his people. So that then, but she didn't really have people to help her navigate that. And I feel like um, at some level, like maybe her talking to God whether it was God or whatever else, like without having a church or a faith community is, is God or whatever you call it, just your own personal moral compass. Like, I feel like when she was saying, can I just be nothing forever? Like, can a person just be nothing? I think that my biggest struggle has been, why isn't being a good person enough? Like, I feel like I'm a pretty good person. Like I have a strong moral compass. I like, I help people who need help. I 
study to read about marginalized groups and how I can help and what I can learn. And, and I think I've struggled with why is the emphasis always on whether or not you are part of a religion or a faith community instead of whether or not you have a strong moral compass. That's why I related with dear Margaret. (laughs) I think that's probably it for today. So thank you everybody for listening on the next episode of saints and sisters. We're going to be discussing the 2014 memoir by Jennifer Fulweiler, something other than God. Thanks for listening, mom.